Hello and welcome to the Beat the Press podcast, the show which looks at how footballers and the people around them deal with pressure on and off the pitch. My name is John Masori and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Luke Chiverton. Hi John, good to be here. Yeah, good to be back. How's your Christmas been, Luke? It's been good. It's been good. Uh, interestingly, actually, uh, inspired by our last guest, Simon Clifford, um, uh, and actually uh, coinciding with the sad parting of Paolo Rossi at the beginning of the month, um, I've been watching a lot of footage from the 1982 World Cup. Um, I always love living in the past when it comes to football, John, as you know, but um, genuinely, genuinely loving watching kind of all that all that footage and you can see why a young Simon Clifford was kind of so entranced by the, the beauty and the magic of what that Brazil team and Socrates and all and Zico and all of those great players uh, were doing. There's a definite step up from the last time that we were in lockdown and I think we were engrossed with 90s football nostalgia more specifically Spurs during the 90s football nostalgia. Yeah the standard is considerably higher than Spurs in the 90s John. <laughs> Well, speaking of Italian footballer Paolo Rossi, uh, brings us nicely onto onto this episode's guest, the inimitable Dr. Bruno Di Michaelis. So, Bruno is a sports psychologist that worked at, at AC Milan between 1986 and 2009. And if you think that some of our guests uh, have name dropped in the past, then this is a man that uh, needs no invitation to, to talk about some of the people that, that he's worked with. So between 86 and 2009, he worked with, in no particular order, Arrigo Sacchi, Fabio Capello, Carlo Ancelotti. He was appointed by Silvio Berlusconi. He kind of counts amongst some of his friends, Clarence Seydorf, Luke. It was just a, a Rolodex of of Milan players during the, the 80s, 90s and noughties, wasn't it? I was absolutely fantastic. Just, you know, a complete kind of run through of all of the biggest names in football in that kind of magical kind of what I call the Gazetta Football Italia era. So it was really, really, really fascinating. And and Bruno was uh, was kind enough to, um, to to come back and record another episode with us. So, so this episode is actually split into two parts. We spend most of the first part talking about his time at AC Milan, and you mentioned Silvio Berlusconi, who appointed him directly, by the way, uh, which sounded like a terrifying experience. Um, and we spend a lot of the, the second episode talking about Bruno's time at Chelsea, because uh, when he left AC Milan in 2009, he was the first name on Carlo Ancelotti's wish list of people to come and join his backroom staff there. Yeah, just, just a quick point to say that if our guests have name drops in the past, that is absolutely allowed. Encouraged, John. Encouraged. Very much so, very much so, because we don't have many names to drop between the two of us. Um, so the first part of this of this two-parter focuses on Bruno's role at, at AC Milan. Uh, and as we, we mentioned, he's a trained a professional sports psychologist. He set up the mind room, which is part of the fabled Milan lab um, that has been talked about across kind of many different platforms. Um, Bruno himself talks about the fact that it led to a 91% reduction in um, soft tissue injuries during his time at the club, but more importantly than that, it's the kind of it's been it's been mentioned by people like David Beckham and Paolo Maldini as being crucial in in um, ensuring the kind of longevity of their careers. Yeah, John. I mean, Milan was famous for you know Paolo Maldini, Costa Curta, Baresi, all you know all of these players that you know played well you know into their forties, wasn't it? Um, and I think the Milan Lab is kind of widely regarded by most people in football as you know 
the cutting edge of innovation in the 90s in terms of sports science but also psychology which is the element that we were that we were most interested in when talking to Bruno yeah absolutely and we get into the specifics of of the mind room how it worked it set up its role within the Milan lab but there's also as we talked about a whole host of incredible anecdotes about Milan during the 90s 80s and and early noughties, and, uh, and a little bit as well about, about the, uh, the European Cup final of Liverpool. Our guest this week is a sports psychologist that works alongside Arrigo Sacchi, Fabio Capello and Carlo Ancelotti at the height of AC Milan's success during the 80s, 90s and early noughties. Founder of The Mind Room, part of the fabled Milan Lab, it's our pleasure to welcome to Beat the Press, Dr. Bruno Di Michaelis. Hello, thank you for having me here. A warm welcome to the pod, Bruno. Um, so you were obviously uh, an athlete yourself. Um, what was it that led you to specialise in sports psychology from that background? The first part of my life, <clears throat> I was a fighter. For 20 years, I was a professional karate instructor. I was several times... Uh, Italian championship and European championship for two years and twice silver medalist in Tokyo, 71 and 77. And uh, then uh, I was shocked by psychology. And the reason was because the first time that I I, I moved to Japan for the first uh, world uh, competition, that was 1971, I realized that something unusual happened to me in that competition. And that was that for the first time, I felt out of focus, uh, anxious. You know, I couldn't really control, you know, my body. I felt my legs and my arms heavy, you know, and I I never experienced that. So I said, what what happened to me? Maybe the jet lag or what is that? But deep down, I knew that was something different. And I lost, and I lost in a very, very bad way. Uh, when I came back, you know, and I questioned myself, it's not a technical problem. It's not even a physical problem. I was really very, very fit, very, you know, well-trained. So I said, what's happened there? And eventually I had a friend of mine who said, maybe something mental. <laughs> mental. No, no way for me. I'm a fighter. <laughs> I did, yeah, really. I was very aggressive, competitive at that time. So, by matter of fact, it was a mental problem. And just to make it short, you know, when I started my uh, sport psychological uh, assessment and then uh, process to, to, to go through and overcome that uncomfortable situation, I realized that it was very simple at the beginning. You know, I started, when I started karate, it was just a, a teenager, I was 15, 14 years old. And my, my, my instructor, my teacher, my master at the time was Japanese. And I, and I trained with Japanese for about 20 years. So to me, they were not just instructor or masters. They were hero, my, my God, my, you know, my, and especially in martial art, you, you turn just a man into a myth, into a legend and into, into a guru, whatever it is. So psychologically, it was easy. You, know? uh, you cannot, you cannot fight, you cannot defeat your hero, you cannot kill your father, you cannot kill your, your guru. So basically it was Japanese, but then because of psychological generalization process, 
it became not that Japanese, all Japanese people, even they, if they are, you know, uh, just absolute beginners. <laughs> it's you, it's your mind. It was a self-sabotage. And I said, no way. You know, I worked so hard for years, you know, to train myself. And then I came here, I, I know I waste everything. I said, no way, I won't overcome that. So I did the training and I realized how important was uh, applied psychology. And uh, then I made my decision. I said, okay, this is my new profession. So my first study was in chemistry. I was a, uh, an expert in chemical engineering. I studied chemistry for five years. That was, you know, my study before. Supposed to be an industrial chemical engineer. And that was the basis, you know, for... We, we, we come back to this when I will talk about the mind room. Because when, you do, when, you, when you're a chemist, you know, when you study chemistry, you're very, very much uh, grounded with number, with metrics, with stechiometric, you know. You don't want just words. You don't want to hear words. You want to calculate. You're a very, very scientific mind, technical mind. So I said, okay, I want to become a psychologist. That's what I did. And then I, I know I got my PhD in sports psychology, in psychology and sports psychology. I was a counselor in counseling, clinical counseling psychologist and, 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 and then a PhD in sports psychology. And I started to work with people. Then, that's you know, when my background came back again, when I said, hmm, wait a minute, you know. They tell me he's relaxed, he's anxious, uh, he's nervous, he's, a, he's got a trauma. How do you know that? You know? Just people talk about that. They said, I want evidence. This is not evidence-based, you know. So I was really uncomfortable with this idea. And that's when, you know, the biofeedback monitoring devices came in my work. And it was the late 70s. In 1980, I was using biomonitoring. So what I'm saying that when someone you know, came to me and said, I'm nervous, I didn't even ask him nothing. I put sensor on him. I don't want to talk to you. Uh, and that's what they're saying. When I'm tense, okay, put sensor on him. Why is that? This now is, I mean, it's scientific based also because what we know is that the mind, it lies. The mind tells lies. We don't even know. We don't say it in purpose because it's, it's the way, you know, I'm, I'm talking now as a, a neuro-linguistic master trainer, okay? So I know I, I, I went deep in, in studying, you know, how the mind works. And I know that when you create your meta model, you don't have the reality in your mind. You just make a model of the model. And then when you recollect the information, you have to go through distortion, constellation, generalization. So that's why mind lies, but not the nervous system. It cannot. Nervous system is not made to lie. It cannot. So I said, wow, fantastic. This is the first alliance that I have. And that's why, you know, I introduced biomonitoring. And of course, then, uh, you know, I'm talking 40 years ago. 40 years ago, there wasn't much on the market. And the little that was, was so expensive, believe me. The first, you know, bio <laughs> lab that I could buy here in Italy, you know, because I didn't even know thought technology at the time. You know, the, the, the company that, you know, I joined for all my uh, following, you know, devices. And uh, I bought one from here for a company based in Rome. And it was a fortune. I had to work years to repay it. <laughs> now, now uh, luckily, you know, it's, uh, it's much, much, much cheaper. So I started to work, uh, you know, with uh, 
martial artist like me, people practicing. And then that's when, you know, really it changed my life. 1986, I joined AC Milan, the soccer team. And AC Milan is, is obviously where you began a, a long and successful career in elite football. What was your early involvement with the club? I became a member of the technical staff as a full member, a member of the technical staff. And believe me, it was so unusual. I'm talking 1987. No professional uh, soccer club in Italy has a sports psychologist, you know, as a, as a member in, in, in their staff. And that's when the, 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 the adventure started. What was it specific to the club, uh, AC Milan, that made them interested in the work that you were doing? And, and was it specific individuals involved in AC Milan at the time that were looking to push the boundaries of what was possible on the, on the, on the psychology front? Well, let's say that we are talking a club that has, you know, a very mind-open, really wide, wide mind-open owner that was uh, uh, Mr. Berlusconi at that time. Uh, I mean, I, I remember very well the first time uh, I didn't start with uh, with the AC Milan because before two years before I started to consult the company. I was a I was a trainer in in in, in the personal development program for managers. Okay, it was a uh, stress management, uh, uh, developing creativity, uh, decision making, uh, time management, and all this kind of stuff to develop their social abilities. So I had already contact with the, with the. Uh, with a big company, okay? Not AC Milan. Then when they purchased AC Milan, 1986, I came to my mind and said, hey, wait a minute. You know, I'm a sports psychologist, basically. So I asked for, for an interview with the owner and I had to talk to him because no one would take, would take the responsibility, you know, to introduce a psychologist into a soccer club because then there was no previous experience of that. So I had to talk to him about two and a half hours. So when I was, when he, at the end he said, said yeah, okay, Believe me, well, maybe one day I will describe, you know, it took me about six months to organize that meeting. And believe me, I really, really studied about that, you know, because I <laughs> want that contract. I want that contract, you know. I just want to tell you, you know, what was the closure. I said to myself, you know, let's assume that, you know, you, you get the contract, okay? You are appointed, you know, they signed you. Probably they will say, you are no one. And we are the big AC Milan. So you're coming to work for us for free because it would be big advertising. And I don't want to do that. I want to be paid because it's a big class. I want big money. So I said, how can I, I going to overcome that? So I had, you know, my, my Italian intuition, you know, came out and I said, okay. So when eventually we came, you know, to, to the final decision, he said, okay, we can do that. I said to myself, wow, Bruno. It's done. Now let's do the real closure. And I said, sorry, if you agree with me, you know, I will really keep this very, very, you know, discreet. I don't want to tell anybody, not the press, not the journalists, you know, because if you tell, you know, outside that you have a, you know, you hired a sports psychologist, they don't know what's going on. They will probably, you know, misunderstand that. They will think that there is something wrong with the club. So please, I don't want any advertising. <laughs> I said, hmm, that's a good idea. I said, okay. I said, say, sign him a contract. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that they couldn't say, you know, you can't work for free <laughs> to pay me because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not asking for advertising. Well, it was, and that was what I did by matter of fact. I, I keep very, very confidential 
You know, I never gave, you know, an interview, nothing, you know, and this probably helped me to work for 23 years in the club because you have to work, you know, behind the scene. We have already a lot of prima donnas there. You don't want to be one of them. Okay. So, well, just because I told you it was a very, very mind open, very wide, wide, wide open minded. And uh, it was already a, 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 an organization was very, very successful in Italy and innovative. Remember that they brought in Italy, you know, the commercial TV, you know, they built the cities, you know, very, very innovative. And uh, they allowed us to change really a lot of things. So before talking the technical stuff, I will tell you that the most important thing was the cultural reengineering that we introduced into the, 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 the sports club, into the soccer club. Why is that? When they bought the club was 1985, 86. The club came from a, a very, very bad, you know, uh, recent past. They was relegated in second division with dishonor because, you know, they were accused to, to cheated, you know, and then sell uh, games. So, you know, they had their shield uh, in the mud and they wanted to become, you know, it was, the, the the mission <laughs> that the owner stated and he announced in the for the first time in a convention this is the first uh, innovative things that we did a convention 1987 you know one day today no sports club made a convention you know from the presidents to 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 the uh, secretary you know they already spent a day a full day in 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 a, in a castle you know first class hotel you know, and introduce the mission, the vision, the values, the decalogue, and who is who, and, and the mansionigram and everything. So this was a big, big change. Why I'm underlying this? Because if you think that we have three different coaches, uh, Saki first, then Capello second, and then Ancelotti, and they all made a cycle of victory. There must be something above more than the than the coach and that was the the club culture and philosophy that was the big difference bruno it was clearly a, a very exciting time to be joining milan uh, where did sports psychology fit into the the project initially what we introduced was uh professional and organizational science in that and basically the very first axioma was the systemic approach which is not applied. Systemic approach means that you have to consider everything as a system, not only the human being, just starting with organization. If you have an idea or a product or, or, or a service, then you have to advertise it, which is a second subsystem. Then you have to deliver it. Then you have to uh, collect the money. And then you have to uh, invest it, the financial aspect. All these are subsystems of the system. Uh, which is the most important. It only takes one of these systems that collapse and the entire system collapses. Think about you as a human being or me or, or, or you, Luke, okay? Uh, we are a system as a human being and we have subsystem, the skeletal one, the cardiovascular one, the nervous one, the endocrine one, whatever it is. Let's, let's take a little subsystem of one subsystem of the system, the toe, okay? If you break your toe, that little subsystem of the subsystem of the system collapses. 
His final effort, you know, decreased to 10%. But the entire body limps. This seems, you know, a, a little detail, but this is a completely different axioma. Because when you when you rely to the systemic approach, there are not must, wishes, optional, and superfluous area. Everything becomes a must. And that's the difference. Now let's enter sport. They have the must, which is the technical area. Then they have wishes area, maybe at the high rank, which is the uh, 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 being conditioned. Okay, speed, power, strength. Then they have an optional, which is mental. And then they have superfluous, which is sport psychology. And then if you read, you know, any sports newspaper, I mean, here in Italy, I have never read in the newspaper, they don't know how to, you know, develop his power. They don't know how to build their abs. They don't know how to find the proper diet, nutritional. They know very well the biochemical. They know how to dope athletes. So, I mean, all, all, all normally uh, the items that you are in there is uh, he has problem in dealing with anxiety. He plays well at home and he plays bad away. They have difficulty in coping with the with the with the teammate. They, they have bad communication with the coach. They have you know all these kind of things. They are you know relating to the mental area. And that is because mental area is not taken in consideration as a must. And I agree with coaches, with uh, managers, with uh, executives in there, because uh, psychology is a very difficult animal to, to handle. There is, a, what I say, a general psychology. And you can have a normal person, you know, just an, 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 an every, a normal individual, and he can be a much better psychologist than a psychologist in general psychology because, it, because of his intelligence, because of his, his experience, because of his wisdom, because of, you know, the way he is. But I'm not talking general psychology. I'm talking applied, specific psychology. Then, as you know, a professional is for sure better than any coach and any manager than any executive because it requires competencies that has to be developed, studied, and applied. And this is not what is in in, in the uh, sports environment. You know, I work and and I and consult also the Italian Federation, the, the Olympic Committee. Sometimes I go, you know, and 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 give lessons in the training programs for coaches. And if I take, when I take, you know, and I read the program, the contents of their, you know, uh, studies, you find that 99% of the hours are referring and, and, and reply to the technical and physical area. Because these are the two areas that are taking consideration as a must. For example, in Italy, it takes about 600 hours from the first level to the professional level um, for, for a, a coach to become, you know, a, a professional coach. 600 hours of training. They only have, I think, 10 or 12 hours of, let's say, psychology, form, informational, exper experiential, uh, uh, applied, whatever it is. 
So they have just two or three hours. How can they, you know, then take in consideration and think that this uh, area is so important? That's a problem sometimes with managers. They are fantastic in the technical area. And they are, I mean, horrible monsters in the social abilities, in the human relations. And that's exactly what it is. Now, uh, so just to overcome this, we introduced the concept. After the convention, we brought a kind of philosophy, or what philosophy is, a way of thinking, okay? The values were clear, the principle was clear, the beliefs were clear, you know, we have very clear mention for who is who and what we're supposed to do in everyone. And then, of course, we have to deal with the, with the team. And then we come to, to the uh, way that you deal with an athlete. So according to the professional you know, vision of a, a systemic approach, then we change it. And we, we finally decided and proved that we take in consideration not the reductionist model, because when you leave the mind out of a process, you don't have a human being. You just have what is considered now. A human being is made of protein, muscle, tendons, uh, biochemistry, you know, techniques. Uh, and what about his feeling? What about his mental process? What about his inner talk? What about, you know, his, the, the emotional uh, level? What about the mind? And why is that? Why we have developed this reductionism, which is also applied now. Whenever, you know, you find that in a club, in any organization, not only in the sports organization, it's also in business organization. They don't have the mind in there. They think sometimes motivation, you know, all this, you know, bullshit, they know they, they sorry, you know, for my Italian. <laughs> you know, they, 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 you know, they just manipulate people. Bruno, you, you talked about the, the athletes uh, and approaching them. When when you went to them with this with this concept, you start speaking to the players about the mind room. What what was their reaction? Okay, so I introduced my my speech with. Uh, excuse me, I, I want I want to ask you a question. Said, uh, I think that you like to be fit, healthy, fit. fit eh? Of course, yes, of course. They said, and you want to be fit, you know, for the the, the most you know long period of time. They said, of course, yes. And you want to, you know, uh, let's say, avoid injury and prevent injury. Of course, yes. They said, okay, you know what? Let me tell you, we have the same goal. We have the same mission. Because the reason for me to be here is, you know, is to, to protect you as an asset. To protect you as an asset because the club see you as a building. <laughs> you cost 100 million euros. So, so you see, they spend, you know, to buy you uh, the, the, the money they have to spend to, to buy three or four buildings. Okay, so we have to protect you. So we want the same thing. And they asked me, but what do you do practically? I said, sure. And I asked them, did you ever experience, you know? I, said, I asked, okay, how are you now? I mean, uh, it was the fourth or the fifth day of the, of the uh, pre-season uh, meeting, okay? And you know, when they start, they start with a very, very heavy load. Okay, so they were up because they want to overreach them, and after four or five days, they don't have to. Re- they they are not recovered. You know, they are really tired. So I asked them, "How are you now?" And because they want to play the tough guy, I said, "Oh, we are good." I said, "Come on, then put it this way: 
Are you less recovered than the first day you came here? Oh, yes. So you're more tired than that. Okay. So if I have something that can help you to recover, okay, let's say faster, will you give me two or three minutes and listen to what I'm saying? He said, yes, of course. And I put a sensor on him. <laughs> I use a little sensor. And I put, you know, three, four sensors. And I say, you see, that's your heart beating. This is your skin conductivity. This is your muscle tension. You know, and so I introduced them you know, and I said, you see, this sensor is not uh, putting anything in you. It's collecting information. So we make visible the invisible. And now let me tell you, uh, would, you would you want to experience a little exercise that help you? And I just, you know, lead him in a very, very simple relaxation technique. And of course, they could see that the the, 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 the metrics, they change. No, decrease the heart rate, decrease the blood pressure, in, decrease the, the, the respiration rate, increase the peripheral temperature. And then, you know, after five, ten minutes, you know, I said, okay, open your eyes. How do you feel now? Well, I feel good. I feel, feel good. Yeah, sure. He said, look at here. And so I said, oh, my heartbeat decreased, my muscle. And, of course, I gave, you know, uh, some explanation. When you decrease the blood pressure, when you, you know, when you increase your vasodilation, this means that you bring more oxygenating blood to your cells and muscles so they can restore and better. better. In fact, you feel good. You feel more energetic. You know? so we call this, you know, recover faster from, you know, from training and fatigue. How do you like that? Uh, they li leave the room. One of these was the captain. And of course, and he said, I did the techniques that makes me recover faster from fatigue. That was the only sale that I had to do. And because of this, they bought everything that I sold them for the last 23 years. <laughs> because that was the only sale that I had to make. Let's say that now I had, you know, the players on my side. Because we had the club on our side. We had the coach on our side. Because, I mean, the coach at that time, he himself said, you don't play football with your, we don't play soccer, no, with your foot, you play football with your brain. So you have a coach, you know, <clears throat> spreading this philosophy. It's a big assist for the sports psychologist there. I suppose the challenge is you're dealing with players, I don't know, let's take Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who have big egos. So even if they're presented with objective evidence, sometimes is it difficult for, the, for them to accept that evidence? Well, you see, that is because when you talk mental area and you talk psychology, there is a stigma on that. If you go to a psychologist, especially in Italy, it means that you are mentally sick, that you have a problem. And this is the problem of the psychology and the psychologist. You know, when a people come to me as a sport psychologist, you know, and you come to me and I ask you, I'm asking you, I'm selling my uh, work to you, okay? I'm asking, how are, how are you, my friend, now? How are you? And what about being better? Are you interested in, in being better? That's why our psychological association, psychology themselves, they introduce themselves as therapists. Yeah. Think about the physical area. If you introduce yourself as a physiotherapist, then you have to people, then you have rehab people. And someone who is going to come to you because you're a physiotherapist, they go to a personal trainer. 
they go to a strength conditioner because the strength conditioner starts from, you know, the, the point when you are in good condition, at least in good condition. But a physiotherapy starts when you are not in good condition, when you are sick, when you have to rehab. Mm. And that's also in the mental area. So that's what I'm saying. If they don't advertise, if the American Psychological or the English, the British Psychological Association, they don't really push and spread and advertise and market the idea, you know, of coaching and counseling, you know, the player. I am, I am, you know, a mental coach. I am a mental trainer. I'm, I'm improving your ability. I'm not doing a therapy on you. I'm doing exercise. You come to the mental gym. You do mind training, which is a different story. But as you said, when they resist, is that because they have a limiting belief, which, I mean, is, 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 is completely understandable because we as psychologists and you, your psychologists, they do not market and advertise this new you know, uh, image in the market. That's why they resist it. But once they understand what they do, they want you there <laughs> and they explain what you're doing. Bruno, that covers the players um, and, and convincing them of the benefits of, of sports psychology. Did you, did you have to take the coaches uh, on a similar journey? If you ask me, did you work with Carlo Ancelotti? Yes, for sure. He was doing two, three sessions a, a week because I was coaching the coach and he asked me and he wrote in his, in his personal book, I was his life and professional coach because I said also to myself, I don't want to talk to the player. You know, you have to talk to the player. Otherwise, I myself create an external leader. I am training you to do the trainer, to do the coach. And so I'm proving you. But many times, he tried to explain and he said, okay, Bruno, why don't you explain it? He explained this better than I okay? That was the best sale that I could have. You know? It was the best endorsement because he was sitting in the front, listening to what I explaining to the player. You know, that was fantastic. You know, I said, I totally agree with what he's saying. You know, this is what I want to tell you, but he's explaining better. You know, how do you think that, you know, the player <laughs> then think and goes? <laughs> when you have the coach, you know, supporting you this way, you know, they know that he's the one who makes the list <laughs> at the end. <laughs> Even the one, and, and not only that, believe me, the very first player who come to you are the outstanding player. Then you have the very, very good player. Then you have the good player. The average player hide himself because what I'm doing, you know, is working on facts. And if the facts prove that you are an outstanding player, then you ask me, as Clarence did, print it and give it to me. Because then he went to the club and he said, you see, this is how your lab described me and evaluated me. Now you sign, this is what he do. He asked for an extension when he was 31 of the contract. And talking Clarence Seedorf. And why is that? Because with the Milan lab, you know, uh, Jean-Pierre uh, Merceman, who was, you know, the, the, the director, the general director of the, of the Milan lab too, he said, wow, your age is 31, but to me, you look 26. Your biological age is much, much younger. He said, printed. Give me that printed. So he went to the CEO and said, listen, to what you know your lab is saying about me. He's saying that I am 26 as a biological age, so extend my contract for more years. And he did it. 
and they signed it. And he played until he was 36 with the same contract, <laughs> you know. So, so, and of course, uh, now it's, it, it makes it easy, but everything started with the first step, which was having the club on your side. So, Bruno, how did the concept of the mime room first come about? Uh, and what exactly was it designed to do? But the problem is that if you are one psychologist and you have 30 players, how do you work with them individually? They don't want you know, to cue. I remember that time they had 8 to 10 physiotherapists because when they finish training, they want immediately to have their massage. And they don't want to wait. They don't cue because they are spoiled millionaire at the age of 22. No, and they are, I mean, and I understand that because they have their own private, you know, a physiotherapist, a, a personal trainer, a nutritionist, so they have their own private stuff. So if you want to train, I could do, I could easily do t- teamwork, but I have problem to do individual training because, you know, you can work with one, two, maybe three, because one after the other, but the other, they don't wait. So I ask myself, how can I train, you know, all, all, all these people, all these guys individually. I cannot ask for other sports psychologists because, you know, just one is more than enough because no other team in the first division has the sports psychology full time. And they, but they have, you know, I may remember that time they have seven, you know, uh, strength conditioner. So seven professionals, almost personal trainer. No, three medical doctors, three chiropractors, two osteopaths, you know, and one sport psychologist. So I said, how can I overcome it? One again, you know, Italian creativity came out. And I thought about, you know, this mind room. I said, why don't we make, you know, this uh, individual training a collective training? And so that's when I started, you know, and I started to, to think and you know, work, you know, with the with the thought technologist said, you have to help me, have to find it. There was also a technical problem. Remember, there was no wireless at that time. No, it's easy. <laughs> With wireless, we do everything. So it was also technical. There was not a laptop at that time because we needed at that time. I mean, we had Dell computer, not, not to make advertise, but I mean, we asked them, you know, to, to build a, a laptop because the Ethernet uh, port was only... 100 mega. We need giga there because, you know, uh, it, it took terabyte to, to, to go through there. And we had no computer at that time. We asked them to build it and they built it. You know, it cost at that time uh, eight, nine thousand dollars, you know, <laughs> for 20 years ago. But Milan was a very, very rich club at that time. Once they was make the decision. So the decision was let's build the mind room. The mind room is a physically uh, a space, uh, a small room, say 40 square meter, okay, where we have uh, six to eight uh, uh, anti-gravity chair, so the people uh, made, you know, uh, f- just to have uh, uh, zero gravity uh, to influence the, the, the blood uh, pressure. And uh, all of these players, they were connected to uh, to a polygraph, put it this way, Okay. And uh, from uh, a, we had, I had the remote control from uh, a room, you know, uh, divided by glass, uh, and I could control, you know, what was going in there. 
talking to each one of them, to some of them, and to the entire staff. So I made eight sessions at the time. So I used to work. I had an assistant, and uh, just because I could work with eight people at one time, I could easily, you know, make two turns to changes, and I could, you know, uh, eventually work with the with the entire with the entire team, and that was a great success, because uh, what the mind room does is not the mind room. The mind room was just a title. I should have uh, copyrighted that because now everything is mind room. Okay, and it was a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea was that you collect uh, objective data in the mental area. Before that, you have uh, someone just talking or eventually using questionnaire or using psychological tests. They are, some of them are clinically valuable, okay? But what really helped me to break the wall was going to medical doctors and showing them, you know, something that they can read. You know, you talk microvolt, you talk micromos. You talk graphs, you talk stats, you talk numbers, you know, relating to something that they don't understand, but they can read and confront. Not only that. So you don't tell someone uh, to doctor, this guy has a post-traumatic stress syndrome right now. I show them, you know, that the, the uh, when I do a stress assessment, you know, they have a certain profile from stress to recovery, and when they just think about going back to to, to the uh, peach, you know, they have this incredible inner re- uh, reaction that changes their physiology, that then prove that the trauma is still there, you know. So not only that, it's helpful for the insurance company because then you can bring something in the court too. That's what I did sometimes in, in some cases. And the player himself. So he is not... Now, he has a, a, a integral and integrated feedback. That was by matter of fact we also made. It's not only the mandrum. Because of the uh, Milan lab, okay, because now the mind room was, let's say, think about uh, a circuit training. So in the circuit training, you have different stations, okay? Uh, mind room is one station of all the stations in the Milan lab. Because you have a station which is the biochemical, which is the structural, which is the functional, and whatever it is. Because you have to deal with this integral and integrated vision, which is the systemic approach. We look at the, at the, at the player as a person. And a person has all this subsystem, which is the skeletal, the biochemical, the mental, the emotional, the psychological, the structural, the functional, blah, 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 and blah, blah. And then, you know, uh, because of this, like, think about the physical area, okay? If you talk to a strength conditioner and you ask him, how do you structure? You're a professional. He said, okay, how do you structure your, 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 your work? So first of all, I do an assessment. I want to do an assessment. And we know that, you know, they monitor you, uh, five meter, 10 meters, 250 vertical jump strength, uh, capa- aerobic, anaerobic capacity, whatever it is. All these uh, items, you know, they are, tested and then according to the results when you read it if in, if the players need to improve some of this he then uh, design and he structure a cycle of improvement then he applied it 
and then you recast it. This is the total system, test, operation, test, exit. When you reach the goal, the target, then you exit the program, okay? And he said, uh, and, and, and because he can prove that he has reached the goal for each one of the factors. So physical training is to this system, collecting data and information. Mental training is the same. I do assessment, sport assessment, uh, stress assessment, uh, cognitive assessment, neuropsychological assessment. I want to test what is your ability to stay focused, your stamina, your uh, your uh, short-term memory, the ability and capacity to analyze the speed that you have to analyze, not be distracted. All these items that they are just, you know, sometimes evoked by coaches or, or, or journalists, you know, are then assessed. And assessed means qualitative and quantitatively factors. You, you name the factors and you have metrics for the factors. And then, if they need to be improved, you make mental training, which means that they may be, they need cognitive training. Sometimes they have to redecide their inner talk because they have uh, uh, invalidating uh, thoughts or they have invalidating limiting beliefs or they have some values that need to be improved. And this is cognitive. You talk to the mind and then you talk to the nervous system through the biofeedback device. They really train the system. Now we know because of neurosciences, that the brain and the neurocells, you know, they, they behave like the muscles. You train the muscles and it increases capacities and ability. It does the same with the engram. You know, your, your synapses become stronger. So really, you change the brain. The mind room is something that is obviously considered groundbreaking in football at that time. What, what were the specific performance improvements that you were able to see on the pitch and with the players? First of all, talking about very specific mental, okay? It's uh, develop and increase your composure. People able to have cognitive control on the emotional brain. And this can be really measured. You experience from the subjective level, but we can measure that. Then, increase your attention stamina and the ability to stay focused. And this comes, you know, in your visual ability to discriminate and perceive things, which is the visual uh, task that we make, is the ability to discriminate, find a target. This is the attentional reaction time. That have measured with attentional reaction time. Maybe you know the reaction time is that if, if a light flashes, you push the button. This is the primal reflection. This cannot be trained. This cannot be trained. Okay. But the attentional reaction time is that if you now, uh, if you, if you're telling you, be careful because a light may flash on my right hand on the left hand. And there is an arrow here that pointed uh, right or left, but be sure. It's only 70% of the chances. So you have to keep your attention some here or there. But then if you have the narrow point in left and I open the right one, you have to shift your attention from here to there, then focus, then analyze, then confront, then make a decision, and then push a button, and then execute. All these phases 
attention, moving the attention, focus, analyze, confront, takes time. And this is when you have to make a decision on the field. I mean, and was remember, think about hockey. They are so fast, how important this was. Or Formula One, I work with Formula One and MotoGP, okay? So they, they, they work on milliseconds. So in soccer, they work with hundreds of seconds or tens of seconds. We reduce this time. And this, for example, for player aging, become a little slower. And you have only the possibility to improve your physical ability. You don't have a 37 years old players that you can train physically to become faster. You destroy them, but you make it faster here because it becomes faster in, make, in analyzing the process. And keep, you know, the parallel vision when you, when you come to a closure situation. So they become faster in processing data. And of course, they are faster in executing. That's why we have been able to keep players and playing at the age of 40. We have four of them. At the age of 40, 41, they still play a very top, top level. I mean, they didn't play all the games. They played the very important game. Instead of playing the 70, 70 game, they played on the 31 and 40. But they, they were the differences that make the difference. And by matter of fact, they win. So improving their ability to stay focused, keeping their composure, being able to recover faster. We even win the pitch because they, we, we, they didn't only train the mind, we train only the body. They make the perfect breathing. So they've been able to, to analyze what, what I call the cellular respiration to properly recover, you know, immediately from, from fatigue or for stress. So, and then, of course, all the rest that was uh, enhancing cohesion because of the team building that we have made. And this is also something that is completely forgotten, you know, from the, 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 the clubs. They spend an incredible amount of money, you know, in buying player, and they don't really create cohesion. They think that just because you wear a jersey, you have a cohesion at level. This is not the way it is. You know, the cohesion that you have uh, in, in a family, in a real family between twins and brothers, because they have the same blood and they are linked to their identity, is not because you are in the same club and you have the same jersey. Because, in fact, they change in one day, you know, the club, so they change the jerseys. And then they do like go like this. My new heart, you know, it is the same colors. And that's, you know, that's marketing. But it's not from the psychological point of view, you know, the real cohesion. And when the problem starts, you have immediately the group split in some subgroups. So you had physiological important uh, results. So you improve the skills that are very well defined. Recovery, mental means attention. You're not distract. Your attention stamina, the uh, speed that you have in perceiving, analyzing, make decision, and executing things. And you keep this under pressure. That's the difference that makes the difference. You need to have this when you have to kick the last penalty in the final of the world competition. That's the difference. Because they don't know. They think that this is something that you can do easily because you are a professional player or you are an outstanding player. This is not true. And this has to be taught. Uh, and Bruno, were there specific players that you had to work with on those kind of things? 
And I can give you a very simple example. I have three players. Three, they, I mean, for people who know soccer, they will know very well. One was Franco Baresi. The other was is Roberto Donadoni. He was also technical coach. And the one was Roberto Baggio. They all, they all three played in AC Milan. And they all three have come on the fact that they are outstanding players. And the same, and another thing that they are together is that they missed the last penalty in the final of the world competition. Not in the same, in the different competition. So we could have three more, you know, world title in there. And when I talked to them and I said, what happened there? And I said, Bruno, for a moment, I felt I was an absolute beginner because they have never experienced that situation before. And to them, I remember one of them said, you know, Bruno, I said to myself, my inner talk was, now I put the ball there, I make three, four steps back, I kick the ball, and we are champions of the world. And then a little thought crossed my mind. What if I missed that? And just that little thought, you know, you know, hit me, and I, 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 I mean, I look at the ball life, it was a tiger. And then I look, the coach said, he's another tiger. And then my colleagues, my teammates, another 21 tigers. And then 60 million tigers, the Italian fans, 3 billion tigers, 4 billion tigers, you know, or the watchers of the, of, of the tournament. So in a moment, I had 4 billion tigers pointing at me. And you know that the fight or flee or flee reaction, how it works. And I felt like shaking and I felt, you know, confused and I wasn't able to, you know, to, and I felt, I, I wanted even to almost cry. And I had made this decision. I have to kick the ball. Otherwise I will freeze here. And I kicked the ball and the ball went out there up, up the bar. And the funny thing was that one of them, I won't tell you who it was, <clears throat> because I did this in deep hypnosis. And I said, I, when I look at the video, at the real video, I mean, you know, with the recorded, and I, 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 fro I freeze the frame because I ask him, pointed where the ball was, you know, in your mind, when you thought, I don't want to miss it, where it was, and when he really pointed that, and I said, open your eyes. And he had the video in front, and he almost pointed the ball there, up the bar. It was a self-actualizing prophecy that happened in a bad way. So I said, if, we, if our mind is able to do this, and we started with psychotraumatic disease, then we can talk of psychosomatic health. That's what we teach. That's why I teach, you know, developing uh, wellness and health instead of psychosomatic disease. We have completely to change our, because this is what I'm, I'm teaching now, you know, from uh, the reductionist model, remember reductionist model, which is uh, the, the, the biomedical, the biomedical therapeutical approach to the psychobiomedical therapeutical approach to the psychobiomedical preventive approach to the social biopsychal preventive approach. This is where we want to, to move now. <clears throat> we, have, we have the minister, our actual 
department is not the minister of health, it's the minister of illness. What I'm describing to you is the minister of health. When we talk health, we promote wellness, we promote well-being. Bruno, you've mentioned that the mine room was just one part of the broader Milan lab. Can you explain a bit more about the concept of the Milan lab as a whole? I tell you where and when you know our Milan lab started. We made one year study. We have to sit down our medical doctors because they don't know nothing about wellness. They know everything about disease. And from one year, we monitor the players in all areas. Maybe so. Maybe it's biochemical, functional, structural, mental. Every day, for one year. Why? Because we want to know what is their profile of wellness and well-being. And just because I monitor every day, and if you are, you know, and if you are a, a, a top athlete, you know, you may have on one on one year. 150 peak days, the days that you wake up in the morning and say, wow, I feel great. I'm a lion today. And the scale from zero to 10, you say, today I'm nine plus, okay? And now I know how your profile was, how your biochemistry was, your level of testosterone, your mental, your speedness, your blood pressure, whatever it is, is linked to your wellness profile. And then when you have this, and you deviate a little bit from there, you are not sick. I got this idea because for the very first five years, I used to drive every day from Venice to Milan because I had the limiting belief in my mind. I said, an islander, which is a Venetian, cannot go and live you know, in Milan. So I used to drive every day. It's 606 kilometers back and forth. 100 and 10,000 kilometers a year. And while I was driving and I was looking at the dashboard, I had this idea. This is a system that have a preventive system because the dashboard tell me in advance when I have a symptoms without consequences before I have a problem. And it means that you have the, the pressure decreasing and the temperature increased immediately you stop because this information makes you think oh maybe i missed oil you stop and you put 10 dollars of oil 10 pounds of oil and then you, you you go but if you wait if you don't have this information you drive because the car is still going until you break the engine and you have to spend 10000 pounds to repair it so instead of having wellness so he's on the pitch and disease and he's in the medical department we invented and discovered which is the gray zone and the zone is the zone of the risk of injury what you have in your car is the zone of risk of injury because you have this panel this dashboard advising you we made the same thing with the athlete that was the the the, the mind the, the milan lab the milan lab make a check every morning which is what you do whenever you you, 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 you ignite the engine. If you make it starting only the first degree, okay, you have all the, uh, the light uh, moving because the computer is making a, a subsystem check. If everything is passed, then you turn a little bit and then you ignite the, 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 the engine. But before, you have the test. The same thing. Every morning, we used to make a six-minute test. No invasive, no fatigue, no nothing. And if we had the decrease of 10%, it was a yellow flag. 
20% was orange flag, 30% was red flag. The athlete was still on a scale from zero to 10, seven, which was good. But to me, it wasn't a risk injury. So used to take him for one hour, two hours, three hours, you know, restore it, and then went back. Just because of this, and I'm closing. When we apply the mind, the Milan lab, not only the mind, but the Milan lab, we reduce by 91% injuries. Of course, in the soft tissue, if someone kick you, you know, <laughs> in the knee, there's nothing to do. But the problems that you have when you play football are in the soft tissue. We reduce 91% of that. And when you have a player reduce it, then we have the goal. Players are not injured. They are out there and perform. They can train, they can play. And the coach is so happy. And when you have the top player playing, you know, and they are restored. They win. And that was the history of Milan Love and the history of AC Milan. And that's why we have applied the cycle. And we won, you know, 19 international trophy in 20 years. In 25 years. And that's when Mila became, you know, the most title uh, club in the world. Now they mean they but this is how it became. So there's another very famous moment in Italian football, which is when Milan lost the Champions League final after being 3 0 up at half time to Liverpool. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I remember very well with Liverpool. Yeah. So yeah, I was there. What, what was it like dealing with the players after that match from a psychological point of view? Let me tell you that Gattuso himself, he said, it took me six months to recover. And let me tell you, because uh, still now, we don't know what happened. I know for sure what didn't happen. Someone says, you know, that the player went, you know, uh, back to the, to the dressing room, you know, thinking and, and making, you know, uh, celebration we won, we won. This was not true. Absolute. I was there. I was there. And I remember that I, I, I remind uh, the coach of Ancelotti, go and talk to them. Don't let them, you know, stay by themselves. You know? And so, and he went there and, and reminded him, remember, he said, we are playing with British and English player. And you know what is their mentality is. You must kill them like the snake. They will never give up. So, that was in, in Liverpool. I remember we, we advise them, uh, be careful, because this guy, they will not give up. Don't think that you are going out there and you will find you know, the press, you know, uh, and surrender uh, players. They will jump on you immediately. That's what I did. And remember, everything went good for them. They made the three tries and they scored. And we tried so many times and we haven't been able. Then, of course, little by little, though, I know that uh, they have been influenced. Our players have been influenced, you know, by the fact that you see that you're losing, you're losing, you're losing. And a little bit of anxiety come back, you know. Of course, a little bit. But if you ask me, was that a physical reason? No. Was that a technical reason? No. Was that they lost their motivation? No. It's just, I mean, uh, what you call synchronicity of everything went good from one side and everything went wrong for the other side. But then we have our revenge. <laughs> remember that we had our revenge. I remember you know, how happy we were there. But it's true. It was really a shock because even me, we used to make a problem analysis always because the problem is that this is also what we introduced. We don't, we don't look for someone to blame. This is also another belief that has to be changed in the club. When something is wrong, they suck the coach. And if this problem is not there, then you just spend money. You have to look for the code. 
If the coach is in the technical area, then you suck the coach. But if the coach is in the is in the organizational area, uh, area then you suck the CEO or the general manager. And if the 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 the, 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 the coaches or the co-coaches are in the biochemistry, you suck the doctors or the biomechanicians there. So you have you know to look for the causes, and that's what we did. And when we applied our system, we really we could not find evidence of causes that there was not causes there. I mean, it was just okay. God, we accept that. Uh, I mean, maybe it was a, 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 a lesson for the ego. Okay, so, so keep your ego and don't think that you are. I am God. You are not God. <laughs> Do your job and think that something that cannot be measured may happen, and that also helped us to improve because we also didn't give up. We said, said we want we want to go back here, and we made it. And it was a great experience. It was a really great experience. Let me tell you, I was there in nine finals of the Champions League. Nine. We won five. <laughs> no score. So I remember very well, you know, what is that atmosphere. I, I, I can easily say, you know, that I am probably the sports psychologist, you know, who is the most titled sports psychologist in the world. <laughs> was in the club who won so many titles. You know, that sometimes people describe themselves like that. You know, even coaches and I, I won, I won this. I'm, I'm the sports psychologist who won the most, you know, title with any, any other sports psychologist in the world. And I suppose one of the amazing things about that period of success in Milan's history is that it was achieved with three different coaches. So you had Saki, Capello, and then Ancelotti, and, and a constantly evolving squad of players. So it's really testament to the overall system that you that you described earlier. Um, AC Milan are enjoying an excellent start to this season again. Uh, do you think the good times might be back? And remember, there were two or three years of confusion. We have this Chinese people group. Uh, yeah. But now Maldini came back, you know. They came back, you know, to, to uh, let's say, a certain organization. They have a group which is a real professional group behind, you know, not just one tycoon who came. You know, they have brought back, you know, their organizational skills. Uh, they have a manager, I mean, I'm talking a CEO, who is a great, great expert. Remember, you know, this uh, Gazidis was in, in, in Arsenal and he made the fortune of Arsenal. So they once again, they brought back a philosophy. The very first thing that you see when a club is doing wrong, a fish stinks by the head. It's nothing new. And the head is not a coach. This is one of the problems. In the future, let me tell you, maybe they, they will not like what I'm saying. The coach now is not skilled, is now, it's not the skill to handle one and a half billion pounds because this is what probably a top club's uh, team worth, you know, Barcelona, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, and, and, and Real Madrid. Now, a coach has to be uh, absolutely a great communicator. Because if you don't relate properly with players, you know, I told you, we have prima donna. Prima donna, they are billionaires, you know. They are so rich, they can buy you. So they're not treated like that. So you have to be a, a, a really skilled in, in, in psychology. You have to know a lot on, on, you know, on sports science. You have to deal with informating. You have to do stats. You have to deal with technical areas. So, I mean... Because of their background, it's not enough. That's what I'm saying. I think it's like like a captain in, in a ship, you know. The captain in a ship, then you have the first, the second, the third officers, okay? 
Now the captain of the ship is the coach. I think that the captain of the ship has to be a sport manager. The coach has to be the coach, not the manager anymore. The coach has to be the coach has to be like the first officer or the second officer. Okay, but the the, the captain, in fact, the captain of the ship doesn't even know, you know, how to do the the the, the, the navigation, how to do the. Do- he has them. He managed the staff. He managed the queue. So that was the first part of our chat with the one and only Dr. Bruno Demichelis, um, the self, self-proclaimed self most decorated sports psychologist in football. And I think given the uh, given the history of his career, that's a, that's a pretty fair statement. Um, a fantastic interview. If you think that was good, wait till you hear John Terry's reaction to the appointment of a human performance director in the second part of our interview with Bruno. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure listeners are picturing that, but... I promise you, you haven't got the right reaction. <laughs> Let's just say that the culture in English football in 2009 was was, was a little bit different to the culture in Italian football. Uh, and, yeah, talking about culture, I mean, Bruno talked about it at length during the interview, but I just thought it was really interesting that he highlighted again and again the importance of the, the kind of cultural re-engineering process, as he put it, at Milan, because... Without wanting to show you my colours here, I, I couldn't help but think about a couple of quite prominent clubs at the moment, the difficulties that they're going through at the moment. So, yeah, I think of probably no speaking about Arsenal and to some extent Manchester United here. Uh, for, for balance, I should say that I, I was scarred because Spurs went through this process during the, the 90s where whichever manager we appointed, we went through the same same cycle and... There was there was something yeah there was something wrong with with how the club was run and I just thought it was really interesting that that Bruno again you know he talks about some of the psychological interventions but he just said he was a pain to rest that that was part of this this kind of cultural engineering process which was so crucial to to Milan's success yeah he really really kind of hammered home that point around the whole club operating as a system so it was all the different components had to complement one another in terms of you know whether it be the sports science the psychology the coaching the technical physical conditioning probably the transfer dealings negotiations like all of the levels of the club commercial or sporting um and yeah you give great examples there of arsenal and, and manchester united where, where clearly all of those elements are disjointed and and and, and that doesn't contribute to to success on the pitch yeah, and and it's I suppose it's you know that's something that has been kind of shown to to happen time and time again. Something that something else that Bruno talks about, which I think is, is probably more pertinent now than it than it was you know back in the nineties or kind of even noughties, is the changing role of the manager. So it, I thought it was really interesting that he said you know it's no longer it's no longer enough to be a former player, and it, frankly it's no longer enough to kind of be an experienced manager who has little to no interest in data analysis or, or sports science. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a slightly different example, but, but Thomas Tuchel obviously recently left PSG and he came out um, just before that, before he left and said, you know, it's being a coach at, at Paris Saint-Germain is not, is not enough. You know, you need to, I think he's kind of talking about being a bit of a politician potentially, but um, just go, goes to show that, you know, it's not, necessarily about what you do out on the training fields you know the the demands placed on on coaches and managers now are a lot more holistic than that 
Yeah, I suppose if you do think of the club as being all of those different um, contributing parts, you know, if, if you're the coach or if you're the manager, whatever whatever it might be, you need to have a handle on kind of what all of those are doing and not just kind of be out on the training pitch. And I think that, that Tuchel example is really interesting, John, because it, it probably explains a little bit why you increasingly see managers who, who weren't necessarily kind of very successful players being successful coaches. So, you know, Tuchel is one of those examples. You've got people like Nagelsmann doing, you know, doing brilliant things. Um, not necessarily successful players, but kind of good experience for kind of managing all of the interdependent elements of a successful football club. Um, going back to some of the some of the more specific scientific stuff that that Bruno talked about, I was really interested in in the the, the demonstrable success of, of of the Milan Lab as a whole, but also the the the, the Mind Dream as, as part of the Milan Lab in terms of injury mitigation and kind of monitoring the the, the, the psychological and physical fitness of, of the team and I really like that analogy that Bruno gave around the, the Milan lab kind of being like the, the the warning lights on the dashboard of your car it, it really struck that that's such a clever way of looking at things to say well like we want to know before something's going to go wrong so then we can kind of do something about it and stop a player being on the sidelines for six seven months um i was watching interestingly john i was watching the the villa chelsea game um over christmas and i think villa sort of played pretty much exactly the same 11 um two days after they played crystal palace on boxing day and there was sort of an interview with dean smith and Dean's just doing a fantastic job don't get me wrong but he sort of gave this slightly strange comment where he said oh you know i've named the same 11 all of the players are hungry to play i've never heard of a of a footballer ever keeling over with exhaustion before and I kind of thought well no you wouldn't because a footballer would never tell you there's something wrong and they would never let a sign of weakness show to the you know to their to the management to the other players um but actually it's the role of the the backroom staff to kind of spot this stuff so it felt to me like a slightly naive uh, old-fashioned way of kind of looking at the mentality of footballers I mean the, the only thing I will say about that is that any manager that's consistently picking the same eleven at the moment has uh, has my vote from a fancy Premier League perspective. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, no, I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't criticise Dean Smith from that point of view because I'm sure we've all got a lot of Villa players in the, in the fancy football team. Yeah, we, we've all been pepped, haven't we? <laughs> and actually, just just quick, a quick point on the on the manager on on the kind of role of the manager, and you know, you talked about Dean Smith there, Leek, and um, it's really interesting. Just a little teaser for for the the next part of this episode actually when when uh, Bruno goes on to talk about his time at Chelsea working with with Carlo Ancelotti he actually said that when when Ancelotti joined Chelsea one of the things he was kind of at pains to say to them was I don't want to be a manager I just want to focus on the coaching yeah and, and that's really interesting actually because that still jars with what the average football fan expects when they're talking about the success of the manager um, for their club in England because we still think the manager is the guy who's in charge of everything, and and that's probably not been a, not been the case at a lot of clubs in the Premier League for, for quite a long time now. Um, J- John, the final, uh, you know, if I can t- talk about one final thing that I really enjoyed uh, in the interview with Bruno was him talking about his interview with Silvio Berlusconi. I mean, that just, I, I cannot think of anything more intimidating than having to go and sell something that you think you can bring to the club to, on, on a one-to-one basis with Silvio Berlusconi. Um, but but actually, on a, on a serious note, um, 
Bruno mentioned that, that Berlusconi was seen as a, a hugely innovative businessman, an innovative commercial mind. And, and there's no doubt that when he kind of took over AC Milan, they completely uh, you know, re-engineered the entire club and rebuilt the entire club top to bottom in, in a way that football clubs probably hadn't previously uh, ever seen themselves being built. And I just thought it's funny, you know, Berlusconi can be seen as a, a, as a slight figure of fun these days when you think of some of the, some of the, the, the caper uh, towards the back end of his terms as president of Italy, but but there's no no doubting that his his, his impact on football has, has been pretty large. I would say. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. You cannot take away from the significance of, of his achievement. Thanks very much for listening. If you want to check out that Chelsea episode, and as I said, I thoroughly recommend that you do, then look out for that in, in the coming weeks. Uh, and if you haven't got enough of Beat the Press yet, then please do uh, visit the website. Uh, there's loads more on there aside from, from the podcast. So uh, we've got stuff on um, pressing from a tactical point of view, um, some trips down, down memory lane, and a couple of book reviews um, as well, which are always topical at this time of year. So you can find that at beatthepress.net.